The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Better get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. This is Pigeon Appreciation Day. I learned that from the good people of Palomacy Pigeon and Dove Adoptions. They're a network of rehabbers all over the United States. You can find them at pigeonrescue.org. But this is especially meaningful to me right now for a couple of reasons. First, for the next nine months, while my astoundingly fit, lifelong vegan daughter is on tour as an aerial performer, I'm looking after Thunder. Thunder is the domestic racing pigeon that my daughter adopted because he's blind in one eye and can't communicate with his wings, so he has to be a companion pigeon. It's a little challenging because I have a dog, a dog who eats vegan these days but doesn't think like a vegan. <laughs> we don't have pigeon dog diplomacy quite established. But on Pigeon Appreciation Day, I appreciate them both. And I appreciate serendipity, too, because in addition to my two pigeon uh, coincidence here, the beautiful, beautiful book that my first guest has written includes a suggestion to feed the birds. And she says that when you do that, you are making the day much better for a person with feathers. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Program. I'm your host, Victoria Moran. My guest after the break is Nimai Delgado, the vegan bodybuilder who is currently on the cover of Muscle and Fitness Magazine. And I have to tell you, when I bought a copy of Muscle and Fitness Magazine with this incredibly ripped young man on the cover, the woman behind the counter looked at me and, you know, I'm older and I don't look like a bodybuilder and I could just tell she was thinking, have this job long enough, you'll see everything. Anyway, he's coming later and right now I am so, so grateful to be bringing back for the second time Sharon Gannon. She is the creator of the Jiva Mukti Yoga Method, A Path to Enlightenment, through Compassion for All Beings. She's the author of wonderful books, including Yoga and Vegetarianism, 
and arguably the world's most beautiful cookbook, Simple Recipes for Joy, as well as hot off the presses, The Magic 10 and Beyond, suggestions from Sharon's own practice and from ancient Egyptian teachings to create a more fulfilling life and a more peaceful world. Welcome, Sharon Gannon. Thank you, Victoria. I'm thrilled to be talking with you on your show again. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to see your book already because, you know, I read it as a manuscript and then to see it actually happen, it's kind of like knowing a woman when she's pregnant and then meeting the baby. (laughs) I guess you could say that. You wrote a beautiful endorsement, and I thank you for your ongoing support. It means a lot. Well, that goes both ways. So let's jump in. For somebody who has been living under a rock and doesn't know about you and Jiva Mukti, fill us in on that first. <laughs> um, well, you summed it up in a beautiful one-liner. Uh, the Jiva Mukti Yoga Method is a path to enlightenment through compassion for all beings. And uh, how that uh, translates on a practical level is we emphasize a vegan diet and animal rights in the classroom, in the teaching of yoga. Um, Yoga teachings, the ancient teachings, say that whatever you do will come back to you. And so to understand how our actions affect our future is very much um, in the study of yoga. So when for instance, when you're kind to another, uh, like another animal, another uh, pig, a cow, or a chicken, then um, you become more and more established in a Sanskrit uh, term called ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And um, Patanjali in the Yoga Sutra says that when one practices, Nonviolence, being kind to others, not harming others, then what will happen in their own life is others will find it very difficult to harm them. That's good news. I guess that <laughs> That's good news. Means that, yeah, it means that, um, you know, uh, others won't hurt you physically, others won't say harsh, unkind words to you or about you, and even. Uh, The yoga scriptures go so far as to say others will find it very difficult to even think bad things about you. Wow. Oh, that's grand. Wow. I love how you speak and how you articulate these things. So tell us just a little bit, Sharon, too, before we get into the book. You've had a very interesting life and upbringing, a very interesting mother. Just fill us in on a little bit of uh, Sharon Gannon history. Um, Well, my mother was quite young when she became pregnant with me. She was 17. Um, She was in high school. She um, was a very accomplished pianist and uh, singer. She was, um, she's actually got the part of Madame Butterfly in uh, Puccini's opera in the junior uh, opera company in Washington, D.C. is where she was from and where I was born. But then she got pregnant, and uh, she then really gave up her uh, career um, 
as a singer, as a musician, to uh, be a mom. And uh, she says she never regretted it, and she was a, a lovely mom. She was an incredible mother, but she wasn't a typical mom. Um, and I really, I really didn't know what a typical mom was because, you know, you really don't when you're involved in your own family. But, for instance, um, my mother never made uh, a meal for us. We, she just went to the store once a week and she bought a bunch of stuff and we were just kind of, um, I guess, expected to, uh, you know, make a piece of toast if we got hungry or eat some cereal. And <laughs> that was about it. So um, I, never, I never thought that people actually sat down and ate meals together uh, like they did on TV. I thought that was something that, People did on the Leave It to Beaver show or any other of those types of shows that were popular during the 50s when I was growing up. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it led me to uh, <laughs> want to become a good cook because I was uh, pretty much hungry for most of my, <laughs> most of my childhood. Um, anyway, but my mother was very encouraging uh in the arts and um, encouraged my brother and sister and I to sing and dance and paint and, uh, and uh, yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> Talking about your childhood kind of reminds me of my daughter's childhood. I'm not sure that she would remember it the same way. I did cook, but this idea of living in the big world and... <laughs> creativity. Uh, I think that was kind of the keynote. And it makes very interesting people, very rich, deep people, as you certainly are. So let's jump in, Sharon, to the Magic 10 and Beyond, Daily Spiritual Practice for Greater Peace and Well-Being. What's it all about? What's it all about, Victoria? (laughs) Well, um... At home, I uh, get up in the morning and I, well, I get up in the morning and um, I do practices that I have been doing for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And um, it's, uh, it, it takes about an hour. Um, and this is like a daily practice that I do, which is not necessarily like a very uh, long, involved, yoga practice as in um, the postures, you know, the asanas and and all of that that maybe most of your listeners might be familiar with when they think of yoga. It's um, just practices that I do to kind of set me right for the day. And um, it starts with gratitude. When I wake up, when I'm just lying in bed, I, um, I train myself over the years to wake up in a good mood. And how I do that is the first thing that I'm conscious of, I try to make that first thought a, um, a thought about God. And I'm thankful to God. And I silently say a prayer of gratitude and, um, and thank God for my life and all the opportunities that, um, that life does give us. And and then I 
I usually just stay in bed and I go from there and I uh, give blessings to people that are in my life. And I actually visualize them and, um, and say silently, I send you blessings and I say their name. And um, so I do that for a few minutes before I get out of bed. And then I, the first thing I do is I feed the birds. I have, um, I have a bird feeder outside my window and I, I fill it up. Or um, if I'm traveling and I'm in a, a hotel or a, a friend's house, I, I always carry some type of uh, bird food with me. Um, even if I'm, I run out of a, you know, bird seed, uh, I can always find oatmeal and or something like that, or some breadcrumbs. I put some of those on the windowsill or somewhere for the birds to to get. And um, I, I've always fed birds since I was a little girl. I I feel that you know birds are when they get that food, they are always so thankful. You can see. They're, they look right up at you, and, um, you know, I mean, I don't speak sparrow or starling or cardinal or, or pigeon, but it seems to me that they're saying thank you in their, um, in their languages. And um, I make sure that I feed them only organic things because, you know, they have small little bodies, and I don't want to pollute those small little bodies with anything that has pesticides or has been genetically modified. And, um, and I feel that, you know, when you nurture the wild birds, you nurture the wildness inside yourself. You keep it alive. And I definitely want to, to keep that part of myself alive, that part which is spontaneous and that part which knows how to live in harmony with the greater world. And uh, to me, wildness is not a chaotic state, is it? Wild nature is very organized and knows how to sustain herself. It's us human beings, I think, who, um, with our culture and our civilization, that has caused the chaos. Mm. Um. <laughs> I, I love anyway, what you so think. And even the, the idea of the organic bird seed, just... I mean, I see birds in New York City just eating all kinds of things. And yet, yes. if I really believe that I'm part of the whole, why would I want to feed somebody else something inferior to what I would want to eat myself? Exactly. Wow. I think, you know, I mean, Jesus, who was a great yogi, um, said, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Um so I, I don't want to eat genetically modified food. I don't want to eat um, rotten food. I don't want to eat bad food. And so to plant those types of karmic seeds for myself, I make sure that I feed others the best possible food that I can uh, acquire for them. Wow. You do that spiritually, too. Now, I want to ask you a word question, Sharon, because I know that you don't use words in a flippant way. You're not one of these people that throws off, you know, you look fabulous and things like that. You're very clear with what you say. And you have given your book the 
title, The Magic Ten. Now, that's transformational and alchemical and really powerful. What's magical about these practices? Mm. Well, the word magic actually implies when there's a shift in perception. When you see yourself, you see others, you see the world in a different way, that's magic. That's when magic happens. Mm. So, yeah. So these practices that I do that are outlined in the book, and there's 10 of them. I just went through like three of them. Um, they're practices that can shift your perception, can actually bring magic into your life by shifting the way that you see yourself and the way you see others. Um, and why not? Why shouldn't we uh, do what we can to see ourselves in a magical way? Oh, I completely agree with that. I think there are two kinds of people in the world, those who believe in serious, realistic magic and those who don't. And unfortunately, that former group is much smaller than it needs to be. Mm, yeah. Well, I think I think our culture has done a pretty good job at conditioning and convincing many of us that our actions don't matter much to the whole and they, they, that they don't even really matter too much in our own lives. I mean, take, for instance, the connection between disease and diet. You know, I mean, um, doctors, most doctors will tell people, oh, eat whatever you want, you know. And, um, but actually, uh, things, things are changing, and some doctors are understanding the link with eating meat and dairy products and diabetes and cancer and heart disease and obesity and, you know, many of the, the health problems that are plaguing human beings today. Mm. Just, I want to ask you something on that, not to diverge from the book, but I was speaking with a wonderful young uh, animal rights activist the other day, and, and he said, young people don't care about health. And I thought, oh, that's so sad because if you care when you're young, you don't have to care so much when you're old because you've got the habits established. So you've started Jiva Mukti Yoga, this incredible worldwide movement. Do you find that your devotees develop an interest in health as well as ahimsa? Well, yes, but I think it's like the ahimsa comes first. Mm -hmm. And then the, the personal health benefits are like a byproduct of yes. being, you know, kind to others. Yes. So, because, you know, because we are conditioned by a culture which has told us that our actions don't mean much, I think that too often people are very flippant with their actions. And um, But if you can actually show people how their actions are actually impacting yeah in the greater world, and how they would impact in their future life. I think then you have like a handle. You have a, one foot into the door of uh, a magical shift in perception for that, for that person. What we do I does matter. Yeah, it does indeed. In fact, you know, so I mean, we're, yeah. 
when we shift this perception, so what exactly are we shifting? I mean, if we're looking at ourselves and the world and it all looks more sparkly and more positive, is that realistic? Is that good? Well, I think this world is not the only world. There are many dimensions, um, and we can slip into uh, any of those dimensions. Um, And this world is a precious world, and our ability to travel to other realms really is dependent on (laughs) how we behave ourselves in this one. That can be a tough concept for a lot of people because I think they're saying, wow, whoa, it's hard enough to deal with one world. How otherworldly do I have to get? Do I have to practice the magic ten <laughs> to be a yogi? Well, you don't. You don't. You know, it's like that's, that's the beauty of life. You know, you can um, go as deep as you want. You can, you know, how far down do you want to go into the rabbit hole? As, as far as you want to go. You're the one that is making the decisions ultimately. I love it. No one else. So there is a certain ancient Egyptian quality to this book, and I think that's surprising for some of us who know you and your other work and know you as a yogini, and, and we know that this comes from India, and yet there's this Egyptian input. Tell us about that. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, once again, um, I think, my mom uh, kind of uh, it turned me on to uh, Egypt and uh, uh, Cleopatra and, and uh, the Pharaoh Akhenaten, and um, she was interested in Egyptian history. And so I always had a, a, a somewhat of an interest in, in ancient Egypt. And I always had it, when I started to practice yoga, I had an intuitive feeling that I had practiced in Egypt in another life, in a past life or something, and that, and that these practices that we know today to be yoga practices might have been also practiced in the ancient Egyptian mystery schools. Um, and so, actually, I have a friend, a very dear friend, who's an Egyptologist, and um Many years ago, I, I asked him about my theory, and he said, hmm, I've never, I, I don't think so, and I've never really spoken to any of my colleagues about this, uh, but if there's anyone that might know, um, I know that person that might have the answer to, to that question, and I'll ask him, well, that person that he went to ask was none other than Zauhi Hawass. And Zauhi Hawass, uh, I don't know if, uh, if, if you know that name, but um, he's an Egyptologist, and actually, uh, I think in 2006, Time Magazine said he was one of the, uh, one, you know, one of the Time's 100 most influential people. Um, he was the, uh, the Minister of Antiquities for, for Egypt for many years, and it was because of, of Dr. Zawi Hawass that uh, King Tut's, uh, the treasures of King Tutankhamun's tomb went on tour uh, all over the world, and that brought in 
millions of dollars to Egypt. And um, anyway, so my friend, the Egyptologist, whose name is Tommy, asked his friend, Dr. Hawass, about my theory that uh, yoga could have been practiced in the ancient Egyptian mystery schools. And Dr. Hawass said, no way. No. He said, you know, yoga is so popular, everyone wants to, like, hook up with yoga, yoga and golf, yoga and horseback <laughs> riding, goat yoga, whatever, you know. No. Egypt had its own culture, and India had its own culture, and we're separate cultures. So my friend Tommy got back to me and said, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but he says no. That didn't bother me. I'm like, okay. I still, in my in my own heart, I knew that there was a connection. So then, uh, four years ago, when I had a big party at the downtown Jivamukti Center in New York City uh, for my cookbook opening, uh, the book release for my cookbook, my friend Tommy came, and he was so excited. He said, Sharon, I have to tell you the news. I was just visiting with um, Dr. Hawass, and he said to me, you know, many years ago when uh, that yoga friend of yours thought that there might have been a connection with ancient Egypt and yoga, and I poo-pooed her? Well, recently we've, we've found some, we found something, and um, I think she's on to something, but we could never prove it, he says, but still, uh, I'd like to talk to her. Okay, so <laughs> that's pretty exciting, um, but uh, I haven't I haven't yet talked to Dr. Hawass about my theory, but um, I I believe that um, yoga as we know it, you know the the techniques, the pranayama, the meditation, the visualization, the um, even the asanas. I think there's a good chance that they could have been practiced in um, by the spiritual um, adept people in ancient Egypt. That is a fascinating theory, and I've heard uh, truth is one. Men call it by many names. <laughs> I think we see different techniques popping up in different cultures at different times just because they happen to work. So, Sharon, in our final, seriously, 30 seconds, or they'll cut us off, um, Give us a final thought from the Magic Ten and beyond. Oh, um, the most important thing for any of us is to remember God and to be kind to others. Ah, that's beautiful, and that only took a couple of seconds. Sharon Gannon, (laughs) (laughs) you can find her at jivamuktiyoga.com. That's J-I-V-A-M-U-K-T-I Yoga, and we'll put that on the show notes at Main Street Vegan. The book is The Magic Ten and Beyond. You've got to read it. It's absolutely fabulous and amazing, as is its author. Thank you so much, the Divine Miss Darren. Everybody else, stay Thanks. with us. We'll be back with Bodybuilding. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea Cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Join Deborah Moffat for fascinating interviews and lively conversation on Divinely Inspired Living. Every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central, Deborah explores ideas that encourage self-inquiry and spiritual exploration. Each week, Deborah talks with best-selling authors and top experts who share their wisdom on a wide variety of subjects like creativity, intuition, spirituality, business, and health. Listen live or get the show later as an on-demand podcast. Tune in every Tuesday here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Everybody, welcome back to the program. So happy, happy <laughs> that you're spending this hour with us. I just want to do a shout out to the good people of Compliment. That is um, alpineorganics.co. And you know that vegans need to be getting their B12. 
and also D3 and your fully formed omega-3 fatty acids. And you can get those in just a nice, good-tasting spray from Complement, made by vegans for vegans. If you check out alpineorganics.co and read up on Complement, if you decide you want some for your very own, just put Main Street Vegan in all caps there in the discount code box, and you'll get yourself 10% off. Also, I invite you to check out MainStreetVegan.net, where all kinds of fascinating things go on. And we have a weekly blog. This week's is from Chris Kalinich, who's a wonderful, super healthy plant-based coach out in uh, the far west of the U.S. And she's talking about how we're going to cook for summer and camping and all those fun kinds of things. So do check us out and you want to subscribe to our blog and newsletter, then you'll kind of be in my inner circle and you can be in touch and let me know what you'd like to hear from Main Street Vegan in general and guests on this program. And I know who you want to hear from right now, and that is probably the hottest young new bodybuilder on the scene of that sport, and he is Nimai Delgado. He started lifting weights at age 16, but he didn't get serious about bodybuilding until just about three years ago when he decided to do his first natural bodybuilding contest. Now, at the same time, he'd made the decision to train for this show on a fully plant-based diet because he'd learned about the animal injustices and the health risks associated with the dairy industry. Eight weeks later, he swept the entire show and won first place in all divisions. Now, get this. Nimai has been vegetarian his entire life. So when people say, yeah, those vegans with muscles, they built the muscles on meat. No, not necessarily. (laughs) And Nimai is featured in the wonderful documentary, The Game Changers. As I said earlier, he is on the cover right now of Muscle and Fitness Magazine. Welcome, Nimai Delgado. Hey, guys. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fabulous. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I think the vegan world is just buzzing about your magazine cover. So for those of us who are not experts in the sport of bodybuilding, tell us about it and tell us why this thing that people are looking at you as, this Mr. Olympia potential, what's so big about that? What does that mean? Oh, man. Where do I start? Vegan... Bodybuilding in general is such a unique sport for many different reasons. Um, obviously, you know, it, it takes quite a bit of effort and sacrifice to be a bodybuilder. It's, it's almost a selfish sport. Um, so that, I think that's what makes it so unique in the sense that there's a vegan bodybuilder out here that is making noise. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm competing with some of the best guys in the world and I'm doing it not necessarily just for myself. Uh, I'm also doing it for a bigger purpose and for spreading awareness, which in my case, I think it makes it easier for me to to put in that hard work and to stay focused on uh, my diet, on my workouts and everything else. And if I can convince or maybe even sway a few other bodybuilders out there, especially the younger guys, to take this different approach uh, to do it, you know, naturally to do it without eating any animal products whatsoever, then 
you know, my mission will be done because this next generation of vegans, they're going to be the ones that go on and do great things. So I think that we need to start early and, and start inspiring those young men right now. Absolutely. So tell me about your background. Why were your parents raising you vegetarian? Okay, so <laughs> I'm a bit of a, a mix of different cultures. So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. So both of my parents are from Argentina. They were both uh, born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And they were both raised uh, Catholic. And in their early 20s, they ended up switching from or converting from Catholicism to Hinduism. And one of the, I guess, concepts of Hinduism um, or philosophies is a philosophy called Ahimsa. And basically what Ahimsa means is to live a life of nonviolence. And that includes the food that we eat. Uh, that's why a majority of Hindus and Buddhists are uh, vegetarian. And that's how I was raised. So I was raised in an environment where we didn't eat any animal meat. Uh, we did have dairy products. Um, but I ended up giving that all up a little over three and a half years ago when I decided to go full vegan. So exciting. And by the way, you're also a mechanical engineer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, so, I think I know more about bodybuilding than I know about mechanical engineering. Can you just define that other than that it takes somebody really smart? Oh, yeah. Um, man, it's it's kind of hard to put one definition on mechanical engineering um essentially we we study designs of different processes and try to optimize them so originally i was actually working for an oil company uh for five years and i was one of the good guys in a sense because i was the one that was making sure that the oil company was following and adhering all of the uh the, the rules, regulations, the laws, the compliance, and making sure that we kept our people safe, our environment safe, and made sure our assets didn't blow up or leak. <laughs> so it's a lot of calculations. Uh, I don't want to bore your listeners and put them to sleep, but it was very technical and also very stressful at the same time um, with that much responsibility. But ultimately, I think I found a different passion, which was in my mind, also engineering, because our body is a machine and there are several different processes that you can optimize. You can um, make more efficient, starting with your diet, then how you train, how you train your machine, the fuel you put in it. And uh, yeah, so I think there's a lot of similarities between engineering and bodybuilding. Well, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to ask, because I read this whole article in Muscle and Fitness, and I actually read some of the rest of the magazine, which was a first. <laughs> um, but the, the writer here, says he calls part of the article Engineering Muscle Mass and says that um, you apply a studied scientific method to working out, avoid entropy, and produce maximum results from your energy input. So can you... Tell us, I know there are a few bodybuilders listening and lots of people who just want to be fit. What's your fitness philosophy and plan? Oh, man, that's a, that's a very loaded question. I think there's, there's many different training philosophies, but uh, there are a few foundational principles that I think everybody could uh, apply to their, to their lifestyle and to also their training philosophy. And the number one thing that people should really take a look or a deeper look into would be their diet. Um, you cannot put the wrong type of fuel 
in your body and expect it to operate at a at an elite level or at a high performance level. And, you know, evidence shows there's so many clinical studies out there now that are proving what many of us already knew just from practical application that a whole food plant-based diet is one of the best diets for performance. And one of the reasons for that, especially in regards to athletes and bodybuilders, is that it helps you recover quicker. Um, essentially, you are eating very anti-inflammatory foods. Uh, you're getting loads of micronutrients and multivitamins, uh, minerals, and everything else that helps your body thrive and also recover quicker. So what happens is after you know a vigorous training session in the gym, uh, you come home and you fuel yourself and you repair yourself with the right types of food. Uh, you can heal quicker, which basically means that you can train more frequently, which means that you can perfect your craft, whether that is, you know, cycling or bodybuilding or swimming. Uh, if you feel better, you're going to perform better. So that's the number one thing I always tell people to to take a deeper look into. And that's why I obviously advocate for a vegan lifestyle or for a, a plant-based diet. Uh, number two would be your form. I see too many guys that have been lifting for years and years, but they've never once taken a look at how to perform an exercise properly. And basically that all boils down to mechanics and putting the right type of metabolic stress on your muscles in order to induce the most amount of damage so then you can recover and then in a sense build muscle afterwards. So those are my top two trips uh, tips for people uh, that might already be lifting or might be interested in lifting weights. Well, that sounds very sensible, and I love it coming from the engineering point of view. So tell me about the guys that you know at the gym and, and other people in your sport. Do you get any flack for your diet? What kinds of questions do they ask you the most? Oh, man, yeah, I get a lot of flack for my diet on social media uh, just because, you know, if if you're good at anything or if you're succeeding, there's always going to be people that doubt you or don't believe what you're saying. Um, a lot of people really don't believe that I'm even vegan. I mean, it's, it's becoming more accepted Who would now, lie about but, that? <laughs> but it, it, it's quite funny. I find it funny too, but um, I think that it's just so unheard of for people to understand that one, I mean, people, people, they freak out whenever anybody tells their friends or their peers or find out somebody's vegan. They they just don't understand. They go like, "How are you still alive?" You know, <laughs> like you you must be lacking all these nutrients. So the fact that they see this bodybuilder um, who's obviously alive, obviously thriving and doing very well, and been able to put on muscle and compete with some of the best in the world, they they just don't believe it's true. Um, and I think that now it's becoming a little bit more ex accepted, but even within the bodybuilding community, it's fairly taboo or, I mean, it's just unheard of. So, uh, I, I actually get different responses. Most of them are positive. Ironically, I, I think that most of the bodybuilders that they see what I'm posting on social media, they see the food that I'm enjoying just weeks before a contest and the food looks great. I mean, it tastes great. I don't deprive myself of carbs like a lot of bodybuilders do. Uh, I have a very different approach, which allows me to enjoy my food uh, that I still eat even when I'm not prepping for a bodybuilding show and still eat those foods all the way up until the show. 
And I think that's very enticing for a bodybuilder who's been depriving himself of the meals that he likes to eat. And they're just consistently eating the same thing, uh, you know, their chicken and asparagus or their fish and asparagus or their whey protein shakes and eggs, egg whites. Um, so to see somebody that's eating, you know, these wholesome bowls and have full of color and full of beans and rice and all these great things, uh, it's very alluring to them. <laughs> I would think that if someone really believed that you needed all this meat and whey protein and stuff like that to build muscle, the fact that you build muscle without it, they must think you're Superman. <laughs> they Well, they either think I'm Superman or I'm just taking a bunch of other supplements. And that's another huge misconception that people have is that being a vegan athlete, you have to supplement with you know, all, all this protein and, and multivitamins or, or steroids or whatever you think that you need to supplement with, uh, because they just don't believe that a plant-based diet can provide you with all of the things necessary to build muscle, to recover, to put on muscle, uh, or maintain the muscle that you already have. Uh, right. so, I mean, it, it's just about breaking those stereotypes and educating people. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to go to social media and just show people what I ate and how I trained yeah. and help. I mean, just show the world that, you know, you, there's another approach. You know, there's, there's a traditional approach where uh, people have been doing it for years, but a select few have been doing it this other way. And it, it also works, but not only to help you look better, but to also promote longevity and promote health from the inside out, which I think is a lot more important than, you know, what you look like on the outside. Indeed. So... Tell us about what you eat. I understand that you have a much more demanding life and career than most of us, but I think we're all fascinated. <laughs> what What do you eat to become you? Um, let's see. I eat a lot. So uh, I think the the biggest thing that people need to realize if you're a bodybuilder or even a vegan in general, uh, you can eat more volume. And that's the biggest mistake that people make whenever they try to go vegan or they they give up meat and they don't replace it with additional food. And naturally, plant-based foods are less calorically dense. So you have to eat more. So I eat quite a bit uh, of volume with all my meals, as you could probably see online on my social media. But normally, the first thing I eat would be a smoothie because I wake up very early and train first thing in the morning. And I don't like to train on a full stomach. Uh, so I just wake up and I'll make a pretty large smoothie that contains fruit. It contains almond milk. It contains oatmeal sometimes. It contains flaxseed, chia seed, uh, loads of spinach. Uh, I'll put in a, a protein scoop if I want it that day. And at times I'll put in peanut butter to add in additional calories. Uh, and just blend it all up, and that shake alone will probably be close to 600 calories, 700 calories, just for, for the first meal of the day. Um, and that's normally after I train in the morning. And then for maybe a mid-morning snack, uh, I'm a huge fan of avocado toast. Uh, so I will just get a few slices of like Ezekiel bread and slap on some fresh avocado. I don't dress it up too fancy. It's one of my favorite all-time snacks, and it's just delicious to me. Um, and then for lunch, what I normally do is prepare just a big bowl. And inside this bowl, I call it a Buddha bowl. 
uh, normally because it, it, the ingredients change every day. But normally I'll have some type of, of grain, whether that be rice or quinoa, um, and then I'll, or couscous. I'll, I'll also do beans, whether it be black beans or kidney beans, um, just to give it more of a foundation. I'll also put a lot of, a lot of green vegetables like broccoli. I'll put spinach, cabbage, um, Brussels sprouts. I, I like to grill Brussels sprouts very much. Um, include that in there. And then what else would I put? I'll put tofu or tempeh. I used to do a lot of like the mock meats, like the meat alternatives, like, um, you know, like veggie burgers and all that stuff. But lately, the last like pretty much year or so, I've been not necessarily eating many of those and just sticking to more of tofu and tempeh. Uh, those are t- two really high protein, healthy sources, uh, or protein dense foods that you can include in your meals. Uh, and basically I'll just put it all into a bowl. I'll throw in some avocado as well. And I'll put a little bit of dressing on it. Some non oil based dressing, which normally can is like Bragg's liquid amino or apple cider vinegar, um, nutritional yeast. And that's pretty much it for, for my lunch. And normally I'll have something very similar for dinner. And in between there, I'll be snacking all day on, it could be burritos. It could be sandwiches. Um, but mostly all of them are clean. So I don't cook with any oil or anything else either. So just a lot of volume. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know we can see uh, what you eat at uh, on Instagram, vegan bodybuilding food, which is yes. really interesting and really fun. A couple of questions. You mentioned protein scoop. What kind of protein do you use? Uh, so I always, well, I'm sponsored by a company called Vivo Life. So this is not like a plug or anything, but I genuinely do enjoy their products uh, because it is considered raw. Uh, It's an all vegan facility. They don't mix it with any kind of dairy or um, egg or anything else. It's it's all vegan and it's derived from whole foods. Um, But this main, it's mainly a pea protein and a hemp blend. Uh, But it also contains some other additives like turmeric or curcuminoids uh, also, some digestive enzymes. So these are the things that help your body recover, uh, decrease inflammation. So that's one of the reasons why I like this particular protein. But for anybody else that doesn't isn't necessarily sold on a particular brand, what I could tell people is take a look at the back of any protein or supplement that you buy. And if you can't pronounce most of the ingredients, then chances are they add a bunch of chemicals and additives and flavors that you probably shouldn't be consuming. Um, That being said, the protein powders that you're left with that don't have a laundry list of ingredients might not taste the best, but ultimately they'll be the more healthier for you. Uh, So that's something I always tell people is take a look at the back and really know what's inside the product that you're putting in your body. And tell me again the brand. I know you're not plugging, but I want to know for myself. (laughs) It's called Vivo Life. V-I-V-O or? Yes. Yeah. V-I-V-O life. Okay, cool. And then you also mentioned tofu and tempeh. And I think right after where do you get your protein, the question I get the most is, oh, but you don't eat soy, do you? Where do you come down on soy? How do you answer that question? Oh, man, the soy myth. Um, Yeah. I, I get asked this question so much online especially because I, I do post recipes that contain tofu and tempeh uh, or even edamame or even some veggie burgers that contain soy products. And 
people are so afraid of soy. And honestly, I've been around enough doctors and plant-based doctors, and I've asked them because, I mean, there's conflicting studies online that show, you know, one one study shows it's healthy, the other study shows it's the devil, and it'll ruin you. Um, But it all boils down to, you know, how, how comfortable are you with the food that you're putting in your body? And I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by some of the best plant-based doctors on, on different conferences and different events. I mean, Game Changers, for example, and or some of the dietitians behind the Game Changers that did all the research as well. So I'm, I'm very comfortable eating soy. As long as you, you don't have an allergy to soy and you try to eat organic soy-based products, then you shouldn't be concerned with it. Um, I know that there's a big concern with soy containing phytoestrogens that people misconstrue as estrogen so they think if you eat soy you're you're consuming estrogen um but your body doesn't respond the same way to estrogen as it does to phytoestrogen um and someone like dr gregor could explain it in much better detail and much more scientifically but essentially the phytoestrogens in soy will attach themselves to the receptor sites and they'll actually inhibit uh estrogen from attaching itself to those receptor sites so it can actually promote health in other ways and or promote longevity and decrease the likelihood of certain types of cancers uh, such as colon cancer in men so i'm very comfortable eating and promoting the consumption of organic soy very good that that is very well put i i would say you you are a bodybuilder engineer who can answer that as well as any of the doctors so <laughs> that's my opinion so oh, not even this, not even close. <laughs> this Olympia thing coming up that you are hoping to qualify for, in in my limited understanding, I think it's like the Super Bowl or the World Cup. So, what do you have to do for that? And when is it happening? And if you get there, it'll be some sort of vegan holy day. I sense it will be. So, the the Olympia competition is something that's been around for I mean forty fifty years. Uh, I don't know the exact first day it started, but essentially it's the same contest that Arnold Schwarzenegger competed in uh, when he was younger. And it is like the Super Bowl of all bodybuilding contests. It's the most popular. It's the most well-respected. All of the uh, the biggest and best bodybuilders compete uh, in the league called the IFBB that is essentially the one that hosts the Mr. Olympia contest. Now, for me... Uh, in my division, I compete in a, in a division called men's physique. So I don't get on stage in like the the speedos. I get on stage with board shorts. So it's a different category. Uh, but there's never been a vegan in my category or I don't think in the men's category in general that has made it to the Olympia stage. So it is my ultimate goal and has been my ultimate goal since I started bodybuilding to make it to the stage. I don't necessarily want to be Mr. Olympia. I mean, it would be great to be Mr. Olympia, uh, but there's so many factors that go into being that or holding that title. Uh, I just want to step on stage and say that I made it and basically be the first one to to open that door for vegans and say, hey, if, if that guy did it, then you know what? I can do it too. And there literally is no restriction um, by living a vegan lifestyle or adopting a plant-based lifestyle in regards to bodybuilding, in regards to any sport in general. Uh, mm-hmm. But bodybuilding is a unique sport because it is so heavily focused on not always performance, 
but how you look and the amount of mass you can put on your body. So that's why it's so important for me to help dispel that myth. And in the same, in the same regard, bodybuilders tend to be the biggest overconsumers of animal proteins. They eat two to three times more than your average person, and a majority of what they're eating is animal proteins. So if I can help convince one guy to give up a traditional bodybuilding diet that consists of chicken, turkey, eggs, fish, whatever have you, then it's like converting a family of three. (laughs) So I I really great way to look at it. And when is this happening? Are we talking 2018 you're going out for? Uh, Yeah. So this is this, the Mr. Olympia happens in September. So I have to continue to compete. Uh, this year and rack up points. Essentially, it's a oh. point system this year. So the more points okay. you accumulate, uh, yeah. the better chance you have of being invited to the Olympia. So they oh. invite the top 30 guys. Okay. Well, then we need to stop talking so you can get to the gym. Everybody <laughs> find Nimai on his website, veganfitness.com. And also, uh, we said the uh, Instagram, the what is that? Vegan bodybuilding food? Is that what we call yes. it? Yes. Okay. I, I have my um, recipes and loads of different meal ideas on vegan bodybuilding food. And then my personal Instagram is just my first and last name, Nimai underscore Delgado. Wonderful. And we will put all that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net as well. Next week, the jazzy vegetarian Laura Theodore and a vegan beekeeper oxymoron. Well, we won't know until next week. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting our program. Thanks to you for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.